The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 336th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we are doing a location that was suggested by our listener, Stacy Skelton. And isn't that a great last name? It's almost Skeleton. Or Skellington. <laughs> oh, that's even better. And she suggested Manitou Springs in my old stomping grounds of Colorado. And interestingly enough, this is a place I haven't really been to before. Shame on you. <laughs> I know. After I looked at these haunted locations we're going to be sharing with everybody, I was like, oh, my God, how did I not visit these places? Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the crew Kimberly with an L-Y at the end, Teresa with no H, Joanne, Marianne, Emily, Amy, Philip with two L's, Amber, Krista, and Aurora, which, fun fact, happens to be the same name of the city that I grew up in. <laughs> Welcome to the crew, guys. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Mike Stribel. In episode 256, featuring Haunted Cemeteries number 9, we covered the Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris. We completely missed one very interesting burial, and unfortunately, there is not much known about the man who was buried there. His name was Fernand Arbello, and he was said to be an artist, architect, and musician. Belgian sculptor Adolf Wanzer made his sculpture, and it features Arbello lying down on his back with his arms raised, holding a replica of his wife's face and head. Legend claims that it was his desire to always be able to see her face. Due to environmental impact, her face is now streaked with what looks like tears. The monument is really kind of creepy. The memorial also features the following lines. They were filled with wonder at the beautiful voyage, which carried them until the end of life. Arbelo never got to see the monument as he died four years before it was completed in 1946. He had been in Paris while it was under Nazi occupation at the time and was in his early 60s and no one knows what took his life. The idea that a man so loved his wife that he wanted to gaze into her face for all eternity is touching, but to actually have it sculpted on top your burial certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. And now, this month in history. Thank you. 
In the month of May on the 23rd in 1960, Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann was captured. Eichmann joined the Nazis' elite SS in 1932 and he rose through the ranks quickly. And once Germany annexed Austria in 1938, he was assigned the duty of ridding Vienna of all its Jews. He facilitated this through a deportation center, and after he was successful there, he moved on to Prague. By 1942, Hermann Goring was masterminding the, quote, final solution of the Jewish question, end quote, and Eichmann was put in charge of coordinating the effort. He was in charge of identifying and transporting millions of Jews to Nazi death camps. After the war, Eichmann was brought in by U.S. troops, but he escaped from the prison camp and made his way to Argentina. Agents of Mossad were tipped off about his location, and they kidnapped him and took him to Israel, knowing that Argentina would not extradite him. His trial would be the first to ever be televised. He was found guilty, sentenced to die, and he was hanged on May 31, 1962. Manitou Springs is a touristy town found south of Denver in Colorado that became popular in the 1890s as a health resort with its clean mountain air and mineral springs. This was a sacred area to the Native American tribes there. Many of them believed this was a gateway to the other side. There are so many interesting legends and ghost stories connected to this town that it's hard not to believe that they may have been right. Join us as we explore the history and haunts of Manitou Springs, Colorado. The name Manitou Springs itself just screams supernatural. Manitou means spirit in Native American. Asha Manitou means good spirit, while Achi Manitou means bad spirit. The Algonquin used Gichi Manitou for the great spirit. So it is reasonable to assume that the natural mineral springs found here must have meant something spiritual to the Native Americans who bathed in the healing waters. There are legends that the Native Americans believe that there was a vortex here. Manitou Springs is located south of Denver, just outside of Colorado Springs. Dr. Edwin James is the person credited with bringing attention to the mineral springs outside of the Native American community. And eventually the very people who named these springs and treated them as sacred were run off. Don't you always love it when they say this person discovered this and the Native Americans are already there? Right. Yeah. And then they're suddenly kicked out. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, no, you didn't discover anything. And then, of course, yeah, they lose any right that they seem to have had to it. Exactly. The first white man to write about the springs, though, was explorer Stephen Harriman Long in 1820. So he was here even before Dr. Edwin James was talking about the place. In 1868, men like General William J. Palmer and Dr. William A. Bell were visiting and making plans to build a resort. People from various backgrounds were flocking to the area by the 1890s. These included doctors, nurses, celebrities, tourists, and tubercular patients. They built their homes in the valley here, and many of them are still around today. There's so much history, Kelly, in this one area that even though a lot of people may have never heard of Manitou Springs, it's one of the country's largest registered historic districts. Wow, very cool. And so, I can't believe you never went there. <laughs> I know. So this is a testament to how well they've preserved everything and not destroyed all of their buildings. And That's awesome. It's not that I don't think I've ever been there before. I don't ever remember going there because I'm sure my mom is going to get on the phone when she listens to this episode <laughs> and go, I'm I took sure. you there. <laughs> but I don't recall ever visiting it. Gotcha. 
Our listener Stacy had suggested Manitou Springs back in 2018. She wrote, I live in Longmont, Colorado and grew up in technically Colorado Springs on the far west side of the Garden of the Gods and one block from Manitou Springs. I love the local history and would suggest a possible broadcast about Manitou Springs. It sure was creepy back in the 70s when I was hanging out there and has certainly maintained that aura. My brother and I believed that our family home was haunted or something otherworldly was going on there. My parents built it on a beautiful hilltop among the red rocks overlooking Manitou. Over the years, we guess it was an ancient Native American site due to the amazing views and occasional springs that would temporarily burst forth around the property. No doubt we were probably offending someone or something. I remember lots of ghost stories about various Manitou Springs locations circulating when I was in high school. Manitou Springs was a Native American meeting and trading center, as well as a Western Mecca for wealthy Eastern vacationers to take the waters. I'm sure the intersection of those cultural opposites would make for some colorful tales. And Stacy is right. This town is full of haunts and fun stories. The first one we want to start with would have made a great moment in oddity. But when we found a ghost attached to it, we decided it needed to be part of this episode. Yes, Kelly. So this little tidbit of history from Manitou Springs that would have made a good moment in oddity is one number one big blinking reason why I can't believe I never went down to Manitou Springs to partake (laughs) in this. And these are the coffin races. And it's connected to a legend about a woman named Emma Crawford. The festivities sound like a blast. (laughs) I mean, how did I not go somewhere where they had coffin races? Again, shame on you. (laughs) Now, these started back in the 1990s. I moved here in 2007, so I had plenty of time to partake in those before I came to Florida. I don't know what your problem was. I don't either. (laughs) So let's talk about Emma Crawford. Emma Crawford was a musical prodigy who could play multiple instruments and started practicing almost from the moment she could walk. That's not why Emma Crawford is a well-known person around Manitou Springs. Emma is famously known as the ghost of Red Mountain, and every year the town hosts coffin races in her honor. Emma was born on March 24, 1863 in Massachusetts to a music teacher who started her daughter early on the piano. It has been said of Emma that she, quote, liked no plaything better than to sit on the piano cover and to listen to her mother practicing Beethoven sonatas, end quote. Can you imagine a child? That's her favorite thing. I love that. By her teens, she was playing every piece of music composed by the great masters and not only played the piano, but also the mandolin, cello, viola, and violin. We hear about these musical prodigies often, but Emma's story was the first in which we heard her talent credited to something supernatural. Upon Emma's death, the local paper, this was in the paper, the Colorado City Iris wrote that Emma is said to have acquired her remarkably masterly control of the piano from spirit instruction and is said to have never taken a lesson at mortal hands in her life. Was that true? Well, the Crawfords were spiritualists. With her mother being a pianist, however. <laughs> I mean, come hello. on, Kelly, don't ruin the mystique of it. I was <laughs> hoping you wouldn't point out the obvious. But who taught her mother? Well, they didn't say that her mother was the prodigy. So. <laughs> While Emma seemed to be supernaturally talented with the music, she was not gifted in the area of health. She had been a sick child, and that is how she ended up in Manitou Springs. Her mother had heard of the curative mineral springs there, and the crisp mountain air was said to be good for the lungs. And Emma needed that air because she had tuberculosis. So Emma and her mother arrived in 1889 and rented a small frame house with a gabled roof and bay windows. Emma lived on into adulthood and became engaged to William Hildebrand, an engineer from New York who was helping to build the Pikes Peak Cog Railroad. 
While he worked, she would go hiking on Red Mountain to build her lung strength. She loved that mountain and nicknamed it Red Chief in honor of American Indians, and she told her fiancé that she wanted to be buried there beneath a pinyon pine tree on the mountain when she died. Legend claims that she tied a scarf to that tree and that she had met her Native American spirit guide up there. Emma died shortly thereafter on December 4, 1891. Her funeral was held four days later and led by Reverend A.R. Kiefer, the rector of Grace Episcopal Church, who followed the desires of the Society of Progressive Spiritualists of Colorado Springs. Emma's mother played some melodies on the piano that were described as sweet and weird. Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly <laughs> what she played, but I wouldn't put those two words together. But And I really find it interesting that you have a reverend in the Episcopal faith who's like, sure, I'll lead a spiritualist right. funeral for you guys. When I think of sweet and weird, it seems like it may have been something melodic, but then would take the devil's chord into it here and there where you get that altered oh, yeah. feeling. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I wonder if any trumpets picked themselves up and started playing or speaking. Or <laughs> <laughs> like in the Haunted Mansion? <laughs> well, I mean, that's what trumpets. spiritualists said. Yeah, I know. Emma's gray casket with silver handles was taken by hers to the base of Red Mountain, and 12 pallbearers carried her casket to the top of the mountain. She was buried under a tree there, and her grave was covered with rocks. The burial was not deep, and that would prove to be a problem. A bad rainstorm caused the mountain to break away, and Emma's coffin went sliding down the mountain. Yikes. So now you get the inspiration behind coffin races. There you go. Got the coffin racing down the mountain. So they're doing the same thing now in the streets. (laughs) Her burial was moved to Crystal Valley Cemetery, and she remains there today, at least in body. Her spirit is said to have remained on Red Mountain, and she continues to haunt there. And Manitou Springs honors her in this very unique way. Every year they host the Emma Crawford Wake and Coffin Races. A bunch of teams compete against each other in these races. There are five members on each team. They build a coffin. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the shape of a coffin, but most of them look that way. They put some wheels on them, decorate it. They and all dress in. Go. Yeah, <laughs> they all dress in costumes, and one of them tries to look somewhat like Emma and impersonates her. Usually, they ride in the coffin mm-hmm. while the other four push it along as they go. And whoever gets to the finish line first wins. I guess it sounds like a really fun event. <laughs> and I mean, everybody turns out for this thing. And Manitou Springs is not a very big town. And there's not a lot of parking, so it can get really crowded and hectic there. But it it sounds like a kick of a time. And so if you guys are in Colorado, go check it out for us and take pictures. Yeah, please do. I'm so bummed that I never did that while I was living there. It would have been so much fun. And I guess what had happened, too, is when her coffin came down. Now, of course, this is a legendary story. I don't know that her coffin definitely came sliding down the hill or whatever, but it is said that these kids found a skull and some bones at the base of the hill. And so that's kind of what they assumed had happened there. So now our next location in Manitou Springs is the Craftwood Inn. The Craftwood Inn was built in 1912 by Roland Botwell in the English country Tudor style. Botwell was a jack-of-all-trades working as a photographer, a coppersmith, an architect, and builder. This was not a hotel when Botwell owned it. He used it as his coppersmith shop and called it Craftwood Shops. Some cool carryovers can still be found in the hotel. These are the fireplace hoods and a couple of lamps. The Craftwood transformed into a restaurant in 1940 that was a real hotspot and boasted patrons like Lawrence Welk, Cary Grant, Bing Crosby, and Liberace. The Craftwood was then renovated to become a hotel in 1988. During this renovation, a door that had been sealed shut was opened and some really interesting stuff was found. There were old photographic plates, a mirror, metalworks, and engravings. It was almost as if the opening of that door set free an old pioneer spirit. This presence has been experienced by guests who feel it roaming the halls. 
And isn't this the dream of everybody when they're renovating some old place to find a secret closed up room somewhere? Heck yeah. And then you find all these treasures inside. A former waitress at the Craftswood named Karen Deed said, there's definitely absolutely positively something there. <laughs> you think she thinks it's Sounds haunted? definitive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it, but I feel it. And most of the people who've worked here over the years have had some sort of experience with it. Our chef, who's 300 pounds, and I think she throws that in because you, I don't know, I guess you consider if somebody's larger in size, they're not going to be afraid of things. Oh, funny. <laughs> which to me doesn't have anything to do with whether no, you're afraid not or all. not. Is totally afraid of this ghost. Everyone who feels it says it's friendly, but if I need to go up to the attic alone, I run. There's two flights of stairs and I come down without touching a stair. Oh my gosh. I Careful. Get, yeah. I get goosebumps from the tips of my toes to the top of my head and I can't stop it. My heart rate goes up. It's intense. One night, everyone was feeling it. We have five phone lines and they were all lit up, but there was no one there. We're all trying to shut them off and they wouldn't go off. Everyone was looking over their shoulders all night. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was kind of fun. The next place we're going to check out, I was like, I wonder how you say this. It looks like some kind of an ancient Native American name or something. And then when I kept looking at it really close, I went, I think it's on a ledge, bed and breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. But they put it all together. So it's on a ledge. Right. Pretty positive that it was kind of a tongue in cheek kind of name. I would, I would figure so. <laughs> so I assume it's on a ledge. Roland Botwell built this beautiful arts and crafts style estate also in 1912 as well. Yeah, so he built the Craftswood Inn. Now he also built this. And there was a couple of other places that he built too, but I didn't find any ghosts there. So This is where he lived. Frank Yant became the next owner of the property. He was a millionaire who made his money in oil and a greenstone quarry. He used the house as a guest house for his other home, the Rockledge Estate. Can you imagine using a rather large home as your guest house? No, I'd hate to clean them both. Ugh. Eventually, the on ledge became a bed and breakfast, and from our searching, it seems to be permanently closed at this time. The main sitting area has a fireplace with several exposed wood ceiling beams running along the ceiling. The dining room was gorgeous with a full wooden ceiling and fireplace that looks like it belongs in a mountain lodge. And I think the front room also had this fireplace that looked like it had some kind of a weird hood over the top of it. And based on the fact that Botwell had worked in this coppersmith sure. place, I'm thinking that he made the hood that goes over this fireplace too. Nice. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastic into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. Brett Maddox had been an executive director of the property. He was actually executive director of the Rockledge Estate and the Craftswood, I think, and then a couple other places, too. He told the Huff Post. The Autoledge House is the one that has the greatest amount of activity and the most interest. We have anywhere from five to I've heard as many as a dozen entities down there. The common threads are a little boy in a little blue suit, the lady in a pastel Victorian dress, and there's the older gentleman, as someone described to me, as wearing a jacket and a puffy tie. And I get the visual of a smoking jacket and an ascot tie. And from time to time, you will smell sweet pipe tobacco in there. I love the smell of pipe tobacco. And it's always sweet when it's a ghost. Yes. A former housekeeper shared her experiences with odd inns. I was working as a housekeeper. One of my jobs was cleaning the on-alleged bed and breakfast in Manitou Springs. I was told by several Manitou Springs residents about the ghost of Stu, who resided at the on-alleged. 
Stu was a happy ghost. I was skeptical of Stu's existence. That is, until one day when Stu made himself known to me in a most peculiar way. He whistled a tune, but I can't recall what it was. Only that it didn't scare me. It just sort of startled me and I stopped dead in my tracks. The following week when I returned to the Onaledge, I had my second and what would turn out to be my last meeting with Stu. As I was mopping the kitchen floor, all of a sudden my bucket of mop water was kicked over and the contents were spread across the floor. It didn't take me long to realize it was Stu and I hightailed it out of there. I jumped in my car as quickly as I could and never returned. I don't know if Stu finished mopping the kitchen or not. To this day, I'm a believer in Stu. From what I understand, Stu died in the house in the 1930s from tuberculosis. The owners of Onaledge claim to have had several experiences with Stu as well. Stu appeared on their daughter's wedding photo. That's Whoa. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a photobomb. Wait a minute. We have a wedding crasher. <laughs> they also claim that Stu liked to whistle when they were in the house. I've been told that Stu is one of many ghosts in Manitou Springs, but not all of them are as carefree as Stu. Next, we have the Avenue Hotel. This is located at 711 Manitou Avenue. It's a Queen Anne-style Victorian B&B that started off as a hotel built in 1886. The hotel started as two stories and eventually became three stories and features a beautiful fireplace made from the unique green sandstone from the area. This location later became a boarding house, apartment building, a lodge, and then a private residence. I always laugh when I hear that when something had once been a boarding house or an apartment building and then somebody has it as a private residence. I'm like, that's a big house. Gotta be huge. Gray's Avenue Hotels bought the property in 1984 and renovated it into the bed and breakfast, and it was the first in Manitou Springs. The B&B is currently owned by innkeepers Gwen David and Randy Hodges. They're a husband and wife. Former innkeeper Kevin Abney claims that the place is haunted, and he's heard several unusual stories from guests. He said, This old house has lots of odd noises. Several guests have expressed different events. The most noted was a long-term guest that said every time his girlfriend came over, the tapestry in his room would fall off the wall. I don't know if it just wasn't attached really well or if somebody didn't like his girlfriend coming around. Possibly. He also had a local ghost hunter come and do his thing here for a book he's writing. He said, we have one lady ghost that spends most of her time in the kitchen but travels all over the B&B. He said she was a friendly ghost and that she wants people to be comfortable. I guess unless a girlfriend comes over that she doesn't like. <laughs> Precisely. He felt because of her strong desire to comfort that she may have been a previous innkeeper. This was built as a railroad hotel in 1886, so who knows? Manitou has a big reputation for ghostly experiences, and it is just an overall wonderful place to visit. Other investigators claim to have found that a young boy and girl spirit are here, as well as a former coachman who had worked at the hotel. So apparently this place has got a lot. It seems like all of these places we're covering have a lot of spirits in them. Definitely. So next we have Briarhurst Manor. The name really matches the look of this place. Briarhurst Manor seems like it would be right at home in a country glen, perhaps in the UK. This is a beautiful Tudor manor house, built from the red rocks that are found here. The location was perfectly chosen as it offers views of the Garden of the Gods and Pikes Peak. A lot of people have probably heard of Pikes Peak. It's one of the tallest mountains in Colorado. And Garden of the Gods, Kelly, we visited the one that was in... Illinois? Illinois. And I told you, whoa, we have a Garden of the Gods in Colorado that was very, very different than the one that we saw in Illinois. That one was... Very green and lush. Yeah, it was green and lush. It was also carved into rocks and stuff. Garden of the Gods is these big, huge rocks, mountains that are red. And it looks like, they call it Garden of the Gods because it looks like gods went through and made things. Like you have balance rock. I'm sure people have seen these in other mm -hmm. states where it's this huge rock on top of something that you're like, how is it sitting up there and not falling off? Now, is the one in Colorado also mainly sandstone? 
Yes. Okay. It's completely, you walk through there, you're going to be red-footed and all that good stuff. Well, the one the one in Illinois was sandstone also. Yes, but a different kind. Yeah. Right. So this was this is red sandstone. And, and as we've been talking about, there's also green in mm-hmm. some of that sandstone. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to Garden of the Gods quite a bit. So that's why I was like, I know I was near Manitou Springs and I went to Colorado Springs a lot. And my dad had used to work in Colorado Springs and stuff. So I've been there a lot. So I've been at least in the vicinity of Manatee Springs. That's why I'm like, I might have gone over into Manatee Springs, but I didn't see any of these things. And I don't really have like a picture in my brain of what it right. looks like. So this original home here was built by Dr. William Bell for himself and his wife, Kara. And construction was completed in 1876. The doctor was from London, and he decided to move to the West after visiting to conduct lectures. He initially worked for the railroad as a photographer, and that is where he met General William Palmer. As you heard earlier in the episode, these two men would found Manitou Springs and turn it into a health resort town. They also established the Denver to Rio Grande Railroad. And this was one of those gauge railroads. I've actually ridden on it. It's very cool. Nice. Dr. Bell and Kara had four children, and they were becoming very wealthy as they invested in more businesses. But tragedy struck for the Bells in 1886 when their house burned to the ground. They decided to move back to England, but eventually returned and rebuilt their home. And that is what stands on the site today. They went bigger and more decorative with this one. And it is fun to wander around the manor to find all the unique elements that include gargoyle rain drains outside and a bubbling brook inside. I'd like to have a bubbling brook in my house. (laughs) It would be kind of cool, although I don't I don't know with all that water. Here in Florida, like with the humidity and stuff, I'm like, <laughs> True. Mm, would probably make algae and stuff start growing on the walls here. Ew. The interior was constructed from carved wood. The staircase is gorgeous with carved inlays and banisters. And the house featured a schoolroom, library, and conservatory. The Bells lived here until 1920 when they returned to England for good, and a son named Archibald was left in charge and he eventually sold it. The manor then had a bit of a sordid period where it served as a bar and brothel. I didn't find a whole lot of information connected to that, but there were a couple of reports of this. Vita and Robert Ellison bought the house next and filled it with their collection of Southwest Indian artifacts that included Native American mummies that were stored in the basement. Wow. You know, the cellar, Kelly. As you do. <laughs> where you keep your fruit and other dried goods. Eh, throw the mummies down there, too. <laughs> and again, when we talk about that a lot of these haunted places are quote-unquote, on Native American burial grounds, you can't get any more closer to being a Native American burial ground than actually having the mummies in your home. (laughs) Right. Good grief. Because that is not okay. Those are people. (laughs) An RV park wanted to demolish the house later, but it was saved by a restaurant tour. This house was a social center in its heyday, and today it continues to be a place that hosts social events like weddings and parties. The restaurant that's located here features the finest in Colorado cuisine with wonderful views surrounded by gardens. And when you talk about Colorado cuisine, we're talking about steaks and buffalo and mm, pheasant. They're and making me hungry. Game meat and stuff. Good, good, good meat. The manor also features ghosts. There are many stories from both employees and guests, and they've been telling them for years. The most amazing one comes out of a presentation that had 100 in attendance. Nearly everyone in the room watched as a vase flew off of a table across the room, breaking apart. There was no one near the vase, so it was not thrown or hit by a living human. And this vase is still in the manor. They glued it back together ah, again. Interesting. So you can look at it and be <laughs> like, yep, there's proof it definitely was broken. Wow. When the second floor underwent a complete remodel, it was also wired with a security system. One evening, the system went off and the police showed up to search the manor. They found no sign that anyone had broken inside and no one was inside. 
but the motion sensors definitely revealed that something had been traveling through the rooms. The strangest stories claim that there is a female skeleton that floats through the garden. Everybody needs one of those in their garden. (laughs) Can we have one, Kelly? (laughs) Certainly, I'll rig it up with some some wiring and so forth. (laughs) They can swing around the garden. There are no reports of malevolent activity, just more mischievous. Silverware spins on plates, and one night when a manager was locking up, she had a weird experience with the lights. Silverware spinning on plates. Hmm. That'd be pretty weird. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of sounds like something you'd see in the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. She turned off the lights as she made her way to the front parlor. When she got to the parlor, all the lights turned back on by themselves. What makes this really weird is that the lights are on different circuits, and it would take 10 different people working in unison to make that happen. So this is an old wired house. Obviously, they've updated the electrical wiring and stuff, but it's still on these different circuits. So you can't just flip one light on and it's going to turn on the lights in 10 rooms or whatever. Yeah. So in order for that to be happening, you'd have to have somebody in every single room turning the lights on in unison, which even with humans would be pretty tough to do. (laughs) Certainly. The Bell children had a playroom in the attic and people still hear children up there playing. There's laughter and the sound of running. When ghost hunters investigated, they captured an EVP of a child's voice, and that is the ghost hunters, not just any ghost hunters, so they've been in the home. A red-haired girl's apparition has been seen playing on the front lawn with a ball, and she's wearing period clothing with a bonnet on her head. Another interaction with a child-sized ghost happened during a renovation in 1973. A contractor came in the early morning hours and found dusty white footprints the size of a child's shoe with high heel and pointed toes similar to something worn in the Victorian era. It was as though a child had walked through the plaster dust and left the footprints, but the house was locked up tight, so it was not a living child. A TV station joined a paranormal investigation group named Pure around eight years ago to investigate the manor. The video features an EMF detector going off, a flashlight turning on by itself, and the sound of breaking glass. When the group went to see what caused the crash, they found broken glass on the bar next to the wine glasses, but no broken glass. As the reporter tells the story, he says that a team member thought he saw a hand near the bar at the time that the sound of the broken glass was heard. The reporter's camera that had a fully charged battery went dead at the same time as when they heard the breaking glass. Eric Wright, a local historian, claims that in 2008, he had a weird experience. He said, I had something come up next to me when I was in the office. It kind of grabbed hold of me and pulled me down the hallway. People claim that the spirit seen here belonged to Carabelle and her daughter Hyacinth. So what's interesting is I watched that video with the TV reporter there. And when we described to you here that there was broken glass, it was like there was a couple of shards of glass next to a bunch of wine glasses that were standing that weren't fallen over or anything like that. Hmm. There was no debris on the ground. There was no other debris. It was just a couple of shards of glass. So, so it was like, weird. It was as if some broken glass had fallen and somebody had cleaned it up, but not completely. So that's what you would think it had happened, except right. for that they all heard this breaking glass went in there and they're like, okay, there was nobody in here. <laughs> the guy that was down the way thought he saw some movement like a hand near the bar and bam. So that's I don't know. Really it was weird. pretty weird. So I don't know if the ghost was actually trying to clean up after itself and just didn't do a good job. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Our final location is called Miramont Castle. And this is a wonderful Oh my gosh, I'm going to definitely have this up as part of our cover photo for this episode. What a gorgeous location. I saw it and went, how did I never visit that place? I know. It really does kind of look like a castle, which is why it's called that. The land where Miramont Castle is located was owned by a company run by Manitou Springs founder, General William Palmer. The company owned it from 1871 to 1882 and sold it to the city of Manitou. 
But even before that, the property reputedly belonged to an infamous character named Colonel John Chivington. You may recognize that name if you know the history of the Sand Creek Massacre. This guy was an ordained Methodist pastor, Kelly. He goes on to lead the U.S. Army troops in this Sand Creek Massacre. He described it as a revolt by Indian foes. Here's how Congress's Joint Committee on the Conduct of War described it. As to Colonel Chivington, your committee can hardly find fitting terms to describe his conduct. Wearing the uniform of the United States, which should be the emblem of justice and humanity, holding the important position of commander of a military district, and therefore having the honor of the government to that extent in his keeping, he deliberately planned and executed a foul and dastardly massacre, which would have disgraced the various savage among those who were the victims of his cruelty. Having full knowledge of their friendly character, having himself been instrumental to some extent in placing them in their position of fancied security, he took advantage of their inapprehension and defenseless condition to gratify the worst passions that ever cursed the heart of man. It is thought by some that desire for political preferment prompted him to this cowardly act, that he supposed that by pandering to the inflamed passions of an excited population, he could recommend himself to their regard and consideration. So he basically thought he was doing this to get himself higher up politically because people wanted him to do it. What a jerk. And the reason why it's called a massacre is because it was mostly women and children. My gosh. And so if they were firing back at them, it was in defense. And right. so it's I, when I saw that he was actually a reverend or a pastor, That's I was terrible. like, wow, really take something. Then as I'm reading more about his history, so he owned this property. He owned it from 1862 to 1867. The massacre took place in 1864. And he goes on to live just a regular old life, no jail time or anything. I'm like, how do you have the Congress come out with this statement about what you did and you're not in jail? That's terrible. I mean, Leavenworth is made for these kind of people, I thought. The land was eventually purchased by Father Jean-Baptiste Francolone, and he decided to build a grand home for himself and his mother here. Now, I don't know how this Catholic priest managed to have the money to build this huge place (laughs) because it stretches over 14,000 square feet and has four stories. Now, this wasn't all completed at once, but it still was really big when he first built it. It's really unique in that it features nine different styles of architecture. These include Byzantine, English Tudor Revival, shingle-style Queen Anne, domestic Elizabethan, Flemish-stepped gables, Venetian ogre, Moorish, half-timber chateau, and Romanesque. I think he pretty much included everything A little bit of everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think the only thing I don't see in there is Gothic. Construction was started in 1895 and completed in 1896 and was designed by the father himself. He loved architecture, and that's why so many elements were incorporated. He had traveled all around the world (laughs) with his parents and stuff. He contracted the Gillis brothers, Archie and Angus, love that, their parents did a good job naming them, to build it along with William Frizzell, who quarried the native green sandstone from which the castle was built. And we've mentioned this now over and over again, this green sandstone. This is the only place in the world where you can find it. And the best way I can describe it is it looks like red stone, red sandstone, but it has a lot of green incorporated in it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, it's sometimes hard to see the green. It kind of depends upon the lighting and how it reflects, but it's really cool. The east section of the castle was added in 1897. The castle had indoor plumbing and electricity, which was very unique at the time, and the walls were two feet thick. The interior doors feature archways, and there is rich wood trim throughout. The name Miramont means look at the mountain. Eventually, the Sisters of Mercy joined Father Frank Cologne in starting a tuberculosis sanitarium here called Montcalm Sanitarium, where they offered good food, 
fresh clean air, and relaxation. TB huts were used throughout the property, and they still have one there on display. When TB was eradicated, the Sisters of Mercy used Miramont Castle as a high-end boarding house. This ran from 1928 to 1946. The castle is today owned by the Manitou Springs Historical Society, and they offer historical tours of the museum and special teas in their tea room. There are many different artifacts here, including the antique firefighting equipment, Victorian furniture, an exhibit on the Nuremberg Trials, and other military memorabilia. Miramont Castle hosts a reenactment wake for Emma Crawford, and it's an opportunity to share Victorian grieving customs. That's very appealing to us, but even more appealing is that this castle is reputedly haunted by up to 10 spirits. Two of those ghosts are said to belong to a couple dressed in Victorian-era garb who've been seen coming down the main staircase. There's a little girl spirit who hangs out in the gift shop near the porcelain dolls, of course and one day a cashier saw her holding one of the dolls. When she told the little girl to put down the doll and go get her mother, she simply disappeared. Guess she won't be scolding her again. Another spirit is said to belong to a nun who's rumored to have hung herself in the castle. She tied a noose to a radiator and threw herself out of the window. Interestingly, her spirit usually shows up missing the head. Lovely. Yeah, so I'm thinking when she threw herself out the window, I won't get into descriptions, but maybe, yeah. Yeah, leave it at that. There's a creepy antique doll room up on the fourth floor, and the disembodied voice of a little girl has been heard in this area. Jennifer Walters, an employee at the castle, told Fox 21 News in 2014 about an experience she had in a guest room that has, get this, 16 walls. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) what did they just say? There are 16 walls in here. Very interesting. And some of the rooms have eight. Right. There's a lot of walls in this house. (laughs) And interestingly shaped as well. Yes, definitely. She was flipping off lights in the hallway, and she noticed a figure standing outside of a door to this room that has a window in it. At first, she thought it was a board member or even her husband, and she looked again and noticed that it was a gentleman with dark hair and a red and white checkered work shirt that she did not recognize. The reporter that she was telling the story to asked what she did then, and she said she just kept on walking down the hallway. She said she's never gotten a bad vibe from anything here. When we were watching the video, Kelly, I just started laughing because I said, this is the same as when we hear from our listeners that they see something really scary at night when they're and sleeping they just go to bed and then they just roll over the and go to sleep. <laughs> I'm just like, how do people do that? Like you're walking down the hall, you glance into the room, you see a spirit standing on a door on the <laughs> right. other side of the room looking through the glass. You look again because you're like, did I see something? And you look long enough to be able to notice that he's wearing a red and white checked shirt and he's not somebody you recognize that's supposed to be in here because what she's doing is closing up for the night. Right. So, number one, wouldn't you want to make sure that, like, there's no extra person in the house that you're getting ready to lock up? And number two, I'm like, how do you just keep going? I would have been like, take a picture, run over there. I I don't know what I would do. Say, hey, how's it going? (laughs) It's a full body. This is the holy grail. And you just, well, just keep going. Yeah, just turn around and walk away. (laughs) I'm like, this may never happen for you again. Uh, Employees tell stories of mopping floors. And when they turn around, they find items sitting in the middle of the floor that they just cleaned. So clearly they didn't put it there. Right. Made beds are rumpled by something not seen. And also sometimes items end up in the middle of these beds, too. Two spirits belonging to nuns who had worked here are said to wander the halls, and there are also claims that a Native American spirit has been seen on the property. Manitou Springs seems to have an innate spiritual essence to it, and clearly the Native Americans in the area believed that. Are these locations in Manitou Springs haunted? That That is for you to decide. decide. Well, just another great area in Colorado, Kelly. 
definitely beautiful, surrounded with mountains and all of this wonderful red sandstone everywhere, but it gets cold. So yeah. <laughs> so you're out. Yep. <laughs> want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And we did indeed hear from Pam Newsom. Pam said, Hi, Diane and Kelly. I love the circus series that you did. I grew up in the Cary and Crystal Lake area of Illinois, which is southwest of Chicago. In Crystal Lake, there's a place that has a connection to the Ringling family. It's known as Lakeside Center or Dole Mansion, the Dole family of the fruit company. Do they have some Dole Whip that I can go have? Oh, And we can't even get that here right now. I know. Who knows when we will? I'm craving one now. The Ringling connection is that Mrs. Lou, Al Ringling, bought it. There's even a street that's named Ringling. As for being haunted, it is possible. Having grown up going to Crystal Lake days, I mean, right there, you got Jason screaming out of there. I was going to say Camp Crystal Lake. (laughs) And lakeside festivals each summer, I would always go on the tour of the mansion, which was great. And then she shared a blog post about it. So I was like, well, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing, Pam. Very much so. One of the things that we didn't connect there. And then we also, this last week, coincidentally, had two people in the Spooktacular crew throw up posts about, in Hugo, there's a cemetery where a bunch of circus performers are buried. Yeah, very cool. Which did not get included in our series. So I thought that was really cool that that was out there. Yeah, definitely. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by... Our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Tamara Buckley for increasing your donation. We're going to be moving you into a garden tomb. And joining her in that garden tomb, welcome to the cemetery, Lisa Aiello and Dustin Eckert. And for those people who are getting in those garden tombs, not only are they fancy schmancy, but you also get a mug in three months. And a t-shirt after a year and then every year thereafter a t-shirt. So for those people in the garden tombs, they've really been enjoying their logo gear. Sounds like it. I hope they do enjoy it. And then also we're welcoming in Linda Boudreau. She is going to be buried under a marble headstone. And Kelly Thompson, you're going to be buried in a chest tomb. Thank you so much for supporting the show, guys. It really does help us out. You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Manitou Springs is a a touristy town found south of Denver in Colorado. She was a a musical. It's a B. Symphony. (laughs) I mean, I'm talking about music. There you go. Emma Crawford was a musical. God damn, I can't say musical. (laughs) You just took the Lord's name in vain, Missy. Well... It is raining out. Maybe it's going to lightning and I'll get hit.
Oh, stop. I'm next to you. <laughs> During this rev... Rev, 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 During this rev... Jeez, now I can't say it for real. During this renovation... Frank Yant became the next owner of the... Par- Frank Yant. Yant, yant, yant. <laughs> I'm ready to yawn. Manitou has a big reputation. Manitou has... Huh? <laughs> That's the new name of Manitou. <laughs> yeah, I'm choking on my spit. Manitou has a big reputation on its ghostly reputation. What? <laughs> Say that again? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly everyone in the room watched as a fa- face flew. A face flew across the <laughs> table. As the reporter tells a story, he says that a team member thought he heard a hand. Uh, heard? How did I get that from Saw? I don't know. 